0: Well, we're beginning what uh, some traditions uh, call Holy Week. We call it Easter Week, and it begins today with Palm Sunday. That title, Palm Sunday, comes from the events that transpired at Jerusalem when Jesus entered the city in his third year of ministry. And that memorable occasion, we know it as the triumphal entry. And we read about it in John chapter 12. If you want to start, we're going to start there in John 12. It's on page 899. You can turn there with me. John 12, beginning at verse 12. John 12, 12. It says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast The world has gone after him. Note the mixture in this story. Note the mixture of people and their various responses. There are the disciples who are there, but they don't, uh, didn't really understand. They were confused about what was happening. There's the crowd that had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they were enthusiastic about what was happening. And then there was a a bigger part of the crowd that had heard the other part talk about Jesus raising Lazarus. They hadn't seen it, but they heard about it. And so uh, they're along for the ride. There's God who is fulfilling a prophecy unbeknownst to anyone else. It quotes it in verse 15 that there's a prophecy centuries earlier that this would happen. And so God is there in the picture, uh, doing what he's doing, even though people don't, don't get it. There are the Pharisees, who are opposed to what is happening. Not just confused, but opposed. They've set their hearts against it. As we heard read earlier, uh, they even said to Jesus, Will you tell these people to stop? And he said, Well, if I do that, even the rocks will cry out. So they uh, are, 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 are resisting it all. And then there is Jesus in the middle of it all. And not everyone on that day saw the same thing when they looked at Jesus. For some, he was welcome. For others, he was a passing interest. For others, a firm rejection. And isn't it true that that's what it is today? Amen? People, are all looking, people who look at Jesus don't always see the same thing. Why is that? Why is that? Well, there's a passage that I believe helps to explain the answer to that question. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So on page 952, and I think you'll be helped if you actually get a Bible and open it and look there at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Uh, And we have Bibles in the back of the seat in front of you, and uh, you may want to pick one of them up. Page 952. The Apostle Paul has written this under the inspiration of the Spirit, and uh, I'm going to pick this whole chapter up at verse t- 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. There are three pieces uh, three pieces to the puzzle of why people react differently to Jesus and I want to I want to point those three out to you and the first one is we see here the great contrast There's a great contrast being made in this passage. Look at verse 26. He says, not many, not many, not many, three times. Not many, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. And then verse 27, I love the way it starts. It says, but God. There's this great contrast coming. There's the world and the way it operates and the way we think. And it says, but God. God. Actually, um, there's a little, you may have noticed in the, in the bulletin, I've called this part one of three. It's part three. What we're going to do is today, Good Friday and Easter, we're going to look at passage, three passages of Scripture where it says, But God. And uh, so today is the first one here. It says, But God. And then look at verse 27. But God chose God chose, God chose. I love it. Not many, not many, not many, but God chose, God chose, God chose. It's really, really interesting. He says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what's low and even what's not to bring to nothing what is. In the world's opinion, what is. The world values the wise and the powerful and the noble. If anyone is able to accomplish what needs accomplished, it's the wise and the powerful and the rich and the well-connected. Is there something that needs accomplished to bridge the gap between us and God? Is there some way of living that humans need to conform to in order to be uh, acceptable to God? Well, if so, the wise and the powerful and the rich and the ones that know all the right people, they have an advantage over the rest of us. But Paul says, look around. When the church got together, he says, look around, look at each other. That's what he's saying in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were all well connected. Who is the church? Who are God's people? Well, they're the weak in, in general. They're the weak and the poor and the outliers. Those whose society does not necessarily esteem. I remember when we were missionaries in Tanzania... So, we were among the Sundawe people, and we went there because the gospel was not there. so there were no, uh, there were no believers, and we were there for a while, and we were do- sharing the gospel with people as we met them and we were worshiping just uh, in those days. It was just uh, my wife and I and Alfred and Dado and his wife, and we were the church man on Sunday, we got together, and we were it. <laughs> And then gradually it started to grow and grow. We got to the point where we felt the Lord was leading us to have an outdoor evangelistic meeting. We had been for some months among the Sundawe, and we invited a Tanzanian evangelist to come and we advertised and we got permission. We had these meetings in which the gospel was proclaimed, out loud, just proclaimed. It was awesome. Since the beginning of when that people group became a people group until that day. We did not know of any time when the gospel had been proclaimed. There might have been a Jesus film shown once as it passed through. Not quite sure on that one. But to have a person stand and proclaim the gospel, it was the first time. And in that time, we didn't know what was going to happen. One man decided to follow Jesus. And I'm going to change his name and call him Kawahida. Now, in that, in that area, um, people lived in um, kind of waddle and daub houses. They put, put uh, sticks in a rectangular form and packed mud up against it. Those would be the walls, and they had beams, and they were flat roofs. But some people had kind of advanced beyond that and begun to make their own bricks and burnt brick, b- burnt brick homes. But not Kawi. He, he just lived in the wattle and Dob hut and house. Now, the traditional way that the Sundawi people had eating uh, uh, bowls and plates was they grew a certain kind of gourd, kind of like a, a squash. Or a pumpkin, but it was a certain kind that you didn't eat it. You didn't grow it because you wanted to eat it, but its hide was really tough so that when you you, you would grow it, you, then you'd cut it in half, scoop it out, dry it in the sun, and it was a bowl. I mean, it held water, it was, it was a bowl. But plastic ware was available in towns and even in the little shop in the, in the one, one uh, village in Sundawe land, the Crossroads. And a lot of people had little plastic bowls and plastic buckets, but not Kawiida. Kawiida, he didn't own any plastic. He just had his gourds. He was just, uh, he was not well educated. He didn't, he didn't gra- graduate, from, he didn't go to high school. Got out of maybe seventh grade or maybe less. But he came to Christ. Amen. And as the years went on, Kawida became the first Sandawe deacon in a church. He had a heart to serve. And in all the ups and all the downs, in all the churches that were planted in different villages, in all the pastors that came and went, and all the the growth of the church, there was Kawida serving and serving the Lord. Amen. It's not, it's not, it's not many weak. The world says, go after the village leaders. Well, we got Kauaida. The world says, get the rich guys, get the educated guys, get the powerful people. God said, I'm going to take this guy and people like him. And I'm going to make my people out of people like them. On the one hand, human beings trusting in their own smarts and money and influence and condition, connections, that's, that's what we have on the one hand. But then on the other hand, we have God deciding to do something. Not many, not many, not many. God chose, God chose, God chose. He decides to do something. And he chose the foolish. Look back at verse 18, same, same chapter. So chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. This is a beautiful passage. He's saying in the wisdom of God, people didn't get a relationship with God. All of us, in, excuse me, in the wisdom of the world, uh, we, don't, we don't make it. According to the way the world thinks, we're to accomplish what needs accomplishing. But the world can't do it. And we couldn't do it. We're not making it right with God. But it pleased God here to use the foolishness of the cross. Why is the cross foolishness to the world? Well, it's foolish because you don't do anything to get it. Amen? It's something that's done for you. And actually by by Christ dying on the cross in your place, he's saying you can't accomplish it I'm going to accomplish it on your behalf and so now your job is just to receive believe and receive one Bible uh, scholar said it this way when Paul proclaimed the word of the cross it did not attract the wise and the powerful they're not excluded but tend to exclude themselves By rejecting the wisdom of the cross, which does not honor their achievements, but pours contempt on their pride. Now, where did this wisdom of the world come from? I want you to think about this. Where did this wisdom of the world come from? Let me read to you a few passages, and I I hope you can see what the Scripture is saying. There were heavenly beings created by God, angels. And um, among them was one who was, had more splendor than the others. And in the Old Testament, there are some prophecies, especially in Isaiah and Ezekiel, that talk about how this one angelic being, what, what was going on in his heart and mind, And what happened to him. And the way these prophets prophets talked about it, it had a double meaning. He was talking about one of the neighboring kings, but there's a double meaning. It's not really the king. It's the king, but it's a double meaning. There's this angelic being. In Isaiah 11, 13 and 14, speaking to that angelic being, it said, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So this one angelic being is saying, I'm going to ascend and I'm going to make myself like God. And in Ezekiel 28, talking to the same being it says your heart was proud because of your beauty you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor now this one who has become proud who wants to be exalted like God and whose wisdom has become corrupted by its own pride Well, you know who it is, right? This is Satan. Now listen to what Satan said when he comes down to our first parents in Genesis 3. But the serpent said to the woman, you, you know, he had been saying, take it and eat it. And she's saying, no, he said, God said, I will die. And Satan said, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's what he wanted to be like, right? He's infecting us. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That is where the wisdom of the world started. Right there. Now, you have this corrupted wisdom from the proud, self-exalting angel who then gets put down, who then comes and tempts us with the same thing and infects us with with this wisdom. And that's where the wisdom of the world started. And according to worldly wisdom, we ourselves can accomplish whatever it is that needs to be accomplished. And this helps to explain Palm Sunday. The crowd is full. The crowd there is full of the world's wisdom. What needs to be accomplished will accomplish it. Especially the Pharisees. There were the Pharisees. They were the ones that had the power and the education. They were the ones that had the position they should have known, but I dare say they were not taking off their cloaks and letting Jesus ride over them. And in the midst of all of that, we remember it says, But God, there is this great contrast. But then, secondly, in this passage, there's this great accomplishment. So it's the great contrast, but now the great accomplishment. And this is a beautiful verse. Look at verse 30. So this is 1 Corinthians One verse 30 and it says and because of him meaning God and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption because of him because of him you're in Christ the world says this and this and this, but God, God decided, God decided, God decided. Because of him, you're in Christ. It's not because of yourself. It's not because of us. It's because of God. Amen? Amen. And notice what, what Jesus becomes. He said, because of God, Christ becomes our wisdom. Our eyes are opened. We begin to see life as it really is. They weren't open before. They were closed, were confused, distorted. But now, because God chooses to do something in your life, Christ becomes to us our wisdom. I've told this story before. When I was in high school, my mom, uh, in our neighborhood, there was another family around the block. And my mom and the, the mom over there, they became really good friends. And uh, they're both Christians. And uh, my mom's friend's husband was not a, was not a believer, and so that was a big deal. Uh, his, his his name was Henry, and that was a big deal. We were always praying for Henry that Henry would 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 come to Christ. Now he was not antagonistic. He would go to church with his wife. See, he he went every Sunday, but better than a doornail spiritually. One day, and, and he was in a good church where the pastor. The, the pastor and the people around there they're preaching the gospel over and over and over no response start CPR yeah you know, I mean it was just nothing one day he goes to church his eyes were opened he saw it all and trusted Christ he was saved he reconciled to God when they went home he said to his wife he said honey this is fantastic, but I got this question. Why didn't the pastor talk about this sooner? <laughs> and she just sat there with her mouth open and says, he's been saying this every weekend. <laughs> he's like, no, he hasn't. I never heard that before. God chose. Amen. Henry didn't do nothing. Not, not to cause anything. He believed. God didn't go inside of him and believe for him. He believed, but he only believed because God opened his eyes and brought him right up to the place, and then Henry believes. God does it. Amen? Amen. He makes Christ to become our wisdom. And then it says... Righteousness. He makes Christ to become our righteousness. We're not righteous enough before God. But, and, and you see, the world says, well, keep trying harder to make yourself righteous and acceptable to God. That's the world. That's Satan who says that stuff. But, but God, it says, but God, he makes Christ to be your righteousness. I remember, the, 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 I remember when we were buying the house that we live in right now, that my dad very graciously uh... went through the whole process and co-signed some people say don't do that i'm glad he did it Uh, but because we didn't have the bank would look at us and at that point in our life uh... we didn't have you know it was like no they're not going to give us the loan and my dad writes his name down and says everything on my account Now the bank's looking at that. You get the loan. We look up to God and we are bankrupt. Bankrupt in terms of goodness and righteousness. We're valuable to God, but we're not good. And Jesus Christ comes and writes his name right across and says, Now everything in my account counts for you. God makes Christ our righteousness. And then it says our sanctification. See verse 30? Our sanctification, our being set apart and being changed. Recently, we had uh, 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 a sermon when we were preaching in the series about the attributes of God, and we talked about God's grace and how God's grace not only get uh, by His grace He reconciles us to Himself, but then He changes us. God's grace changes us. You remember that? Well, well, this is it. Christ. God puts Christ onto our life and and Christ in us by the Holy Spirit is what changes us. Don't try to live the Christian life according to worldly wisdom. Like you're accomplishing this. You have to allow Christ to accomplish it in you. That's, you participate, but it's his enabling. Christ becomes our sanctification. And then verse 30, it says redemption. 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 Now that word redemption is used in different ways. Often we think of redemption, and it's right to do so, as, as that Christ has paid the price to get us out of the slave market of sin. It's very true. But I wonder if here there's, there's the other part of it, the other way the word is used in Scripture, if it's not meant right here. And let me read this verse, Luke twenty-one twenty-eight It says, Now... When these things, he's talking about the end times and talking about things that are going to happen. He says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. Your redemption is drawing near. Meaning, in that way, the word is used in Scripture. It means the consummation of it all, the conclusion of all this. What Jesus did on the cross, but, but now it's what he's going to do when he comes back and brings it all to completion. And he's saying, Christ is your redemption. Amen? Christ is the beginning of it all for you. He, he's also the end of it all for you. The great accomplishment. It's Christ, it's Christ. Now, the third piece of the puzzle is the great purpose, the great purpose. There are two purpose clauses in this passage in first corinthians one twenty six to thirty. look at um, look at verse twenty nine so he he talks about, you know. Not many, not many, not many. God chose, God chose, God chose. And then it says in 29, So that, so there's a purpose. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the way God has done it. And this is why God has done it. Is that nobody is going to boast in his presence. Then after verse 30, which we just looked at about how God does it. He makes Christ to be this for you. 31 is the next purpose clause he says so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord the great purpose in God overruling the world's wisdom is that he gets the praise amen it's clear that he is the one who deserves the praise not, not us we don't get to heaven and say man you should have seen what I did to get here There's none of that. None of it. We we get to heaven and we're praising him. We're boasting in him. And so there's this great contrast and this great accomplishment and this great purpose. In closing, I want to mention briefly, what do we do with this? Well, number one, I would say to you, Stop trying on your own to make yourself right with God and just come to Christ. Just come to Christ. My favorite theologian from the 1600s, John Favell, he he said all of humankind is in three categories. There are those that are in Christ... There are those that are far from Christ, they're they're, they're like the Pharisees, they're just setting their heart against God, and there are those that are near Christ. They're not in yet, they're not in Christ, but they're getting closer. God's working in them and drawing them. They're starting to understand more than they did in the past. They're starting to feel things in their heart that that they never felt before. They're starting to actually want Christ and they never wanted him before. They're starting to feel really bad about the things they're doing and they they used to just do them and not, not feel bad about it at all. They're starting to realize that they have a problem with God and that they can't fix it and that Jesus Christ is the answer. And they're getting there, they're getting there, they're getting there, but they're not in Christ yet. They have to believe, they have to receive from God. Jesus Christ. Friend, if you, that's you, you can cross that line today. Last week in the second service, a young woman crossed the line. While the gospel was being preached, she crossed the line. You can cross the line too. Just like all of us who have crossed the line, we cross the line sometime. And we just said, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. I give my life to you. I trust you. Make what you did on the cross count for me. Would you sign your signature across my bankrupt bank account? And he will. So stop trying on your own. Come to Christ. Now number two, down with all pride. Pride keeps you from taking off your coat and laying it on the road so that the donkey that's carrying Jesus can walk over it. Pride keeps you on the sideline criticizing, critiquing, condemning, and in the end, it's just you that will be condemned. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You need to be like a little kid, little teeny baby, a little toddler who knows it's a grown-up world and they need help. That's the way you come to God. You don't come to God thinking you're going to fix it. You come to God and meet me saying, "Hold me, Daddy." And it's not only coming to Christ initially that we have to put our pride down, but pride, you know, in our heart, it re- because we've been infected by our, our great-grandparents, it asserts itself after we've believed, and when the pride comes up, it hurts everything. The conflict you're having with your spouse, pride gets in the way. And until you put your pride down, the conflict will not go away. The, 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 the irritating co-workers that you have to live with five days a week or six, ask yourself a question, is it all their fault or is there some pride getting in the way too? Put the pride down, the pride has to go down. You know, does it feel like God's opposing you sometimes? In certain relationships, and certain attempts, you're trying to accomplish certain things, and it seems like God is just opposing you? Maybe he is. The scripture says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Maybe you need to put your pride down. Nothing is as truly satanic as pride. So put it down, number two. Number three, keep praying for those who you so wish to come to Christ. Amen? It's not the person that you love and you want them to come to Christ. It's not their wisdom. It's not their money. It's not their power. It's not their connections that's going to get them over the line. It's God working in their life. Amen? So just pray. Just keep praying. If they're breathing, there's hope. So you just keep praying that God does it. Lord, do it. Pull them across the line, Lord. Don't give up. Keep praying. And then, um, boasting. Well, you can't boast in yourself, but you can boast in your own weaknesses. Listen to this. Paul was talking in 2 Corinthians 12. He was wrestling with a physical problem. Then I am strong. Why did God take a guy who has all these throat problems and make him a preacher? (laughs) So the guy the guy gets no glory. That God gets the glory. Amen? Why did he take a guy who gets sick 48 hours after getting off the plane in Africa and send him to Africa? Why did he do that? Because God gets the glory. Makes it really clear. It's not Cliff. It's God. Amen? So listen. Boast in your weaknesses. Don't always fight against them, but accept them. Be content. I mean, there might be some things you can help yourself with, but, but realize that God is getting the glory. And live for His glory. And lastly, I just want to say, boast in Christ. Amen? If This, this is all true. So what we, who we boast in is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only in our verbal praise, but in our life, and the way we're living, we boast in him.